Today, remember, we're in a series entitled Experience Christmas. Last week, we looked at Zacharias and Elizabeth and how they experienced their first Christmas, and it was quite an experience for them. But today, I want us to look at Joseph's first Christmas. Now, Larry King was a famous talk show host who struggled with his faith mightily. He was once asked this question, Larry, if you could interview anybody in the history of the world, who would you want to interview? And Larry King answered like this. He said, I want to interview Jesus Christ. And the questioner then asked a follow-up question. He said, what would you ask Jesus And King responded like this, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. Now there's at least one person in all of history that I know that could answer that question with absolute clarity and certainty. He's the person who had the most to gain and the most to lose. His name was Joseph. Unfortunately, he's often overlooked in the Christmas story. And by the way, that's a shame. That that really is a shame. Today, we're going to look at Christmas from Joseph's perspective. I, I think you'll have to admit that his perspective was indeed unique. So go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, and as you're finding that passage, I want to remind you that Matthew's gospel was written from a Jewish standpoint. Uh, That's evident, certainly, as you focus on the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Three names are prominent in that genealogy. There are basically 42 generations that are included in this generation, they're divided into three segments of 14. And and the the one who is mentioned first is Abraham. And and then the second main name mentioned is David. And of course, the third main name mentioned is Jesus. Now look at verse 16 and 17 of Matthew chapter 1. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. See, that's one thing that that Matthew, when he wrote his gospel, was trying to communicate to the Jewish people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Jewish Messiah. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, Matthew drew attention to God's promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the world would be blessed. You find that promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Furthermore, 
he focused on God's promise to David that his throne would be established forever. And you can find that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Both of these promises were highly significant to the Jewish people. And both of these promises were fulfilled when Jesus the Messiah was born. Now, legally, Joseph was the adoptive father of Jesus. That meant that his ancestry, as a descendant of both Abraham and David, was transferred to Jesus. Biologically, the Holy Spirit placed the tiny embryo of the Son of God into the virgin womb of Mary. Now, all of this may seem mundane to you, but it is all an important part of God's plan to reveal how he is going to redeem the sinners of this world, how he's going to give hope to a broken world filled with broken people. Now, remember this. If, one, if this genealogy says anything to us, it says this. God always keeps his word. Always, 100% of the time. Now look at verse 18 as we move into the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother had been betrothed, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, now we read those words and they just sort of pass through our minds and, and it would do us well if we would stop and consider exactly what that verse is revealing to us because it is highly controversial. Now, Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old when her father and Joseph's father agreed for them to marry each other. You say, well, pastor, that's awfully young. That was the culture of that day. Young virgin girls around 13 to 14 would get married. Now, normally, the man was a little bit older because he was responsible for providing for his family, prov providing food and shelter and care and protection for the family. Now, betrothal... It's somewhat like our engagement period in our culture. However, the expectations were much more stringent than our engagement period here in our culture. Now, this period of betrothal usually lasted at least one year. And the couple were viewed, even in the betrothal period, as husband and wife. The girl still lived with her family the, the groom-to-be was busy preparing a place for his spouse and the family they would have. And, and, and the, the couple remained sexually pure during this entire betrothal period. Breaking a betrothal, breaking off a betrothal, demanded a divorce, a legal divorce. Now, after the year-long betrothal, the husband would go and he would take the wife from his, her father's home and bring 
her to his home, and, and they would consummate the marriage after that long betrothal period. And then after that, they had a, a, a whale of a, re, of a re, wedding reception that would last for days, days. And, and that's how marriage took place in that day. But at some point during the betrothal period, that one year when Mary was still living with her father and her family, the Bible says before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, right here in the first verse of the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel, we have uh, the Holy Spirit indicating that Mary would be a virgin. It would be a virgin birth. And that this would not be an ordinary birth at all. But before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, Mary knew what was going on because an angel of God had come to her and told her what God's plan was for her. You can read about that in Luke's gospel. See, Luke's gospel is basically, the Christmas story is basically from Mary's perspective. Matthew is from Joseph's perspective. However, Joseph was left in the dark temporarily. He didn't know that the angel had come to Mary. He didn't know that God had planned to do something supernatural in her life. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, we read these words. And Joseph, her husband... Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, you got to remember, Joseph had a sterling reputation in Nazareth. He was known as a righteous man. That means that he took his faith very seriously. And he constantly sought to be obedient to the Torah the law of God revealed in the first five books of the Old Testament. How did he find out that Mary was pregnant? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he began to notice that she was showing. Or, or maybe, and I assume this is probably what happened, uh, Mary came to Joseph to explain to him what was going. Remember now, he had no idea that the, the, the angel had come to Mary and told her that she was going to have a, a baby, the Son of God, the Messiah, even though she was a virgin. He had no idea about that. So she might have come to him and said something like this. I'm sure she was crying. I, I'm sure that Joseph was visibly upset. How do I know that? Because the Bible indicates in verse 19, that he was wanting to put her away or divorce her secretly. And maybe she said something like that, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all a part of God's plan for our lives. Needless to say, 
Joseph didn't buy Mary's story. He was a righteous man, but he was not a foolish man. He wanted to honor God's word as set forth in the Torah. Do you know what the Torah demanded in a situation like this? It demanded that Joseph would divorce his wife, whether secretly or in publicly with great shame. To complicate matters, Joseph loved Mary, and he did not want to bring disgrace upon his 13 or 14-year-old young bride. So he settled on a plan to send her away secretly. Now, that involved taking two witnesses and giving Mary and probably her father a written bill of divorcement. Can you imagine what the gossiping tongues in Nazareth probably would have said? They would assume that Joseph had been sexually immoral with Mary or that Mary had cheated on Joseph. Why, his friends would shun him. His manhood would be called into question. His carpentry business would suffer. His reputation was destroyed, and his dreams were shattered. Can't you envision Joseph pacing the floor, trying to come to grips with all of this that was taking place in their lives? Now, remember, in Israel, it is, a, it is an honor-shame culture. And to be shamed was absolutely horrendous in that culture. Mary would have been humiliated. Joseph would have been humiliated. So he had no choice, or it seemed that he had no choice, but to send her away secretly. I'm sure that sleep eluded Joseph. I'm sure he tossed and turned. Have you ever had something on your mind and you just can turn it off? And you go to bed and you toss and you turn and you try to, to, to remove it from your mind, but it keeps coming back over and over again. And he's thinking, what did Mary do? Why did she do this? Who was it? Why? Where did it happen? Question after question was bombarding his mind as he tried to sleep. One night he dozed off and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and brought a message from God. Chapter 1 verse 20 reads like this, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, now look, when, when you're in an honor-shame culture and, and you're be, you've been shamed and people in Nazareth know all about it, you know what you begin to feel? You begin to feel like God doesn't want to even be in your presence. God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. 
Boy, how, how, how this must have ministered to Joseph, knowing that God would send an angel with a message just for Joseph. Now, last week, we looked at Zacharias and Elizabeth and how they experienced their first Christmas. Remember, an angel appeared to Zacharias while he was serving in the temple and told him that God was going to give them a baby in their old age. They were very old. And Zacharias couldn't wrap his mind around that. I'm sure he was, he was thinking, man, I need, I need to, to, to wipe the cobwebs out of my eyes and my mind. Surely I'm not seeing an angel. And, and, and he had trouble believing the angel, and he had trouble believing God's word. As a result, God didn't allow him to speak for all those months that Elizabeth was pregnant. Maybe you're thinking, well, how would Joseph respond to this startling news by the angel? Would he respond like Zacharias? Would he doubt God's ability? Would he doubt this word? Maybe you're thinking, well, God spoke to Joseph through an angel. How could he not believe? I'm sure you're thinking right now, if God spoke to me through an angel, I wouldn't have any trouble believing. Hold your horses there for just a moment. Keep in mind that nothing like this had ever happened in human history, and it's never happened since. There has never been a baby born of a virgin except this time. And don't think Joseph didn't know that. It seems impossible to him. But he still faced the daunting task of the brutal gossip that would come his way there in Nazareth. Was the angel going to clarify the situation with Mary's family? You know, I never thought about that. I'd never thought about Mary's family, Mary's dad and mom. How did they handle this news? Well, what about Joseph's mom and dad? What about their extended family? Everyone would know. What, what about the rabbi there in Nazareth? What about Joseph and Mary's friends? What about the people of Nazareth? Would, would, would an angel, this same angel, go to the people of Nazareth, to the rabbi there, to Joseph's family, to Mary's family, and give them the same information, the same news? No. No. The angel only appeared to Mary and to Joseph. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for Joseph and Mary as they had to disseminate this message to others who, un, who most undoubtedly would doubt what they're saying, just like Joseph doubted what Mary was saying. The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived is of the Holy Spirit. One commentator observed, and I quote, he said, what the angel is saying here is that the very circumstances that you fear spell the death of your relationship are actually the beginning of your salvation. Wow. Never thought about that. So the angel continued to fill in the blanks for Joseph, and he had a lot of blanks. In verse 21, 
The angel said, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The virgin-born child of Mary would be special in the truest sense of the word. Joseph, as the, the man in the family, was assigned the task of naming his adoptive son. In the Jewish culture, this signifies that Joseph will acknowledge Mary's son as his own son. He was to assign the name Jesus to this baby. That was Joseph's responsibility. Now, the name Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua, means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord saves. I love what Spurgeon said about the name Jesus. I quote, he said, but if there be one name sweeter than another in the believer's ear, it is the name Jesus. It's the name which moves the harps of heaven to melody. It is the sum total of all delights. It is the music with which the bells of heaven ring, a song and a word, an ocean for comprehension, although a drop for brevity. A matchless oratorio in two syllables, a gathering up of all the hallelujahs of eternity in five letters. I wish I could come up with stuff like that. But it, that's beautiful, isn't it? The Apostle Paul wrote these words to Timothy later on. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Let me tell you, Jesus did not come into this world to bring about a moral revolution. Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the foremost of sinners. And all of us fall in line right there with Paul, right? The Bible says, for all of sin, it comes short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to save sinners. Now put yourself in Joseph's sandals for just a moment. The angel has brought this message that in fact, the baby in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit. That in fact, she was telling the truth. She was still a virgin. And then the angel tells Joseph what to name the baby. You're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus did not come into the world to remove Roman oppression from the Jewish homeland. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. By the way, if you're in this room or you're watching live stream and you've never repented of your sin and received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want you to know that he'll forgive your sins today if you will repent and believe in him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Christianity is all about. 
Can you imagine how awestruck Joseph must have been? I'm sure he, he's still in a dream now, so he's dreaming, and he must have thought to himself, how in the world can I raise the Son of God? Can you imagine that? I'm not up for the task, he must have thought. Was it too much for him to take in? Did he feel totally inadequate? And then the angel, then the Bible says in verses 22 and 23, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Old Testament. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. The virgin birth of Messiah was prophesied by Isaiah approximately 700 plus years before these events took place. Now think about that. I wonder if the Jewish people thought, has God forgotten about us? He promised to send his Messiah. In fact, actually, you can trace that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. To Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Had God forgotten them? Was God not going to keep his promise to them? Well, he would, and he did. God's son would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the meaning of the name. Jesus is the one person who can tell us and show us what God is like. No prophet can do that. No priest can do that. Jesus was God in the flesh. And in Jesus, we see the heart of God. We see his compassion. We see his love. We see his grace. We see his mercy. We see his power. We see his holiness. We don't have to grope in the dark wondering who God is or what God is like because Jesus has shown us exactly who God is and shown us exactly what God is like. Why, he is the one who cares for the sick. He is the one who comforts the grieving. He is the one who goes after the prodigals. He is the one who meets the needs of widows and orphans. He is the one who walks with us into the very shadows of death. Joseph, how will you respond to this message that God revealed to you through the angel in a dream? Look at the next two verses, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I am flat out amazed at Joseph's obedience. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation. He was willing to lose his business if need be. He was willing to lose his friends. He was willing to get way out of his comfort zone. All in obedience to the word of God. He obeyed God by taking two very important legal steps. And these were legal steps. 
First, the Bible says he took Mary as his wife. Now, he's out of the dream. The angel has gone back to heaven to do what, what the angels do in heaven. And everything is over. It's done. Now, what would Joseph do? Well, he took Mary as his wife. You know what he was doing when he did that legally? He was legally proclaiming publicly that Mary was his wife. He didn't care what the people thought. He didn't care what the rabbi thought. He didn't care what his friends thought. He didn't care what his business associate thought. All he cared about was God and doing what God told him to do. And he went and he took Mary as his wife right in the middle of the betrothal period and took her to his home, which was totally out of character for that kind of culture. And then, second, he called the baby's name Jesus. That means he publicly and legally adopted Jesus as his son. Now, Joseph's devotion to God and his discipline was off the charts. Aren't you amazed? The the Bible says that in, in verse 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He honored Mary, even though at one time he thought she had dishonored him. He honored her. Now, you need to understand that the Bible teaches that after Jesus was born, later on, Joseph and Mary had several other children. The idea that she was a perpetual virgin cannot be found in the Bible. And listen to me, my friend. We believe the Bible here. We believe that the Bible is our final source for faith and practice. And if the Bible says that Joseph and Mary had other children, I believe it. Do you? Joseph experienced Christmas like no other man in human history. What can we learn from him as we get ready to experience Christmas in 2022? Well, last week, as we looked at the experience of Zacharias and Elizabeth, we we said that if we're really going to experience Christmas that God wants us to experience it, you got to believe. You got to have faith. Listen, there's a spiritual side to Christmas that is much more important than the secular side of Christmas. And if you really want to experience Christmas with God's hand of favor on you and your family, you got to believe. But but secondly, I think we learn here with Joseph, you got to obey God. You got to obey God. How can we honestly and truthfully celebrate the birth of the Son of God if we're living in disobedience? It's impossible. To obey God, you've you got to do several things. And, and I looked at the, 
at how Joseph responded and how he acted in this, this situation that was off the charts, full of stress and pressure for him. And, and I saw three things that, that I think can help us learn how to live obediently to the Lord, not only during the Christmas season, but any season of our life. Number one, listen to God's word intently. That's what Joseph did. He heard God's word through the angel. And guess what? He believed it. He believed what the angel said. He believed that that message did not originate with Gabriel. It originated with God in heaven at heaven's throne. So I ask you this morning, is God speaking to you? Is he? Now, I know that you, you haven't had a vision of an angel. You haven't had a dream where an angel speaks to you and says to you that I'm coming with a message from God. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that God's still speaking today. You know how he speaks to us today? Through the Word of God. Through the Holy Spirit who impresses on our hearts directions and guidance from God. But he's still speaking today. I ask you, is he speaking to you today about your salvation? Is he? We just baptized five people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. I praise God for every baptism we have in this church. To see a person go from death to life, from darkness to light, from being lost to being saved. Why, it's the grandest thing in all the world. Nothing can compare with it. And I ask you today, is the Holy Spirit pounding on your heart's door, convicting you of your sin, drawing you to the Lord Jesus? Is he? I want to invite you today. Give your heart to Jesus. Receive him as your Savior and Lord. Or, or maybe he's speaking to you about your baptism. Because if you're honest with yourself, you recognize that some of us in this room, maybe by live stream, that you were saved, genuinely born again and saved after you were baptized. That's backwards. In the New Testament, it's always you're saved and then you're baptized. Never you're baptized and then you're saved. So is God speaking to you about your baptism? Is he speaking to you about your church membership. And you've been visiting the church and, and you sense this is where God wants you and, and you've just been putting it all. Maybe today is a day that you need to nail it down. Or is he speaking to you about your stewardship? Or is he speaking to you about some area of disobedience in your life? Now here's a second principle I learned from Joseph this week. Not only listen to God's word intently, but number two, obey the Lord rapidly. You know what I've discovered? Procrastination when it comes to God's word will ultimately lead to disaster in our lives. And, and we'll put it off and we'll put it off and we'll put it off. Now's the time to act 
when God has spoken into your life and you've heard his voice through the word of God. That's what, that's what Joseph did. He acted immediately. He obeyed immediately. Number three. Number one, listen to God's word intently. Number two, obey the Lord rapidly. Number three, face your challenges boldly. Let, let me say this to you. Following Jesus is not a cakewalk. It's not. Everybody's not going to pat you on the back. There are going to be things happening in your life as a follower of Jesus that you're not prepared for. You didn't see it coming, and it's like a train coming down the track ready to absolutely demolish you. How are you going to respond in those times? Jesus said, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. There are consequences that come with obedience. Boy, Joseph and Mary had a string of consequences. I wish I had time. I wish we weren't on a clock. I wish I could just list to you some of the consequences that Joseph and Mary faced beyond all the gossip in Nazareth. What, what about when Jesus was born and his little toddler, about two, maybe three years old, and, and, and they're there in Bethlehem, and the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and said, Joseph, quick, get your family. In the middle of the night, this happened. Quick, get your family and go to Egypt so that my son will be protected. And Joseph obeyed God immediately. If he had delayed, the Messiah would have been killed by Herod's henchmen. Now, that's a tough consequence. Listen, it's not like they went to the airport and got on the 747. They got on a donkey and went hundreds and hundreds of miles through rough terrain. Joseph was willing to embrace the challenges that came with obedience. Are you? Are you? So let me ask you, do you want to experience Christmas in a fresh, new way. Listen, you've got to obey God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to worship. We're going to worship. And this is your chance to respond. Re remember, Remember, Joseph responded in obedience immediately, immediately. And, and God is speaking to some of us in this room. Is he speaking about your salvation, about your baptism, about your church membership, about some air of disobedience in your life, about stewardship? Listen, obey God, obey him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that your voice would be louder than the enemy's voice. I pray, Lord, that people will listen intently, listen intently to what you're saying to them. And I pray they would respond in obedience immediately for your glory. Lord, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name.